0: across the country and around the world. We're listening now to TalkZone.com, Internet Talk Radio.
1: TalkZone.com Let's get
0: back to sports and torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com.
1: Let's go from one Hall of Famer to another. We're going from Harry Gallatin to another Basketball Hall of Famer, former Piston, Bullet, Celtic, 76er, six-time All-Star, NBA Hall of Famer, Bailey Howell. How you doing, Bailey?
0: Very good, thank you.
1: We just had on Harry Gallatin, and we asked him about you, and he said you had sticky fingers, you loved to shoot, but you weren't afraid to get your own rebound.
0: <laughs> well, you know, if I didn't... Uh... Pound the boards. I probably would be on the bench. So that was part of my game.
2: You still have the hook shot.
0: Uh, I actually hadn't picked up a basketball in years. Probably.
2: <laughs> now you have picked up a golf club, though. Harry was telling us that, that you do like the golf.
0: Well, I play a little, but I don't, you know, play that well. But of course, it's uh, it's fun to get out and a little competition. You know, when you. When you're playing with guys that play about like you do, it's always fun.
1: What do you think about the Celtics this year? Do you think they got a chance to win it all? Or you think our Bulls are going to knock them out?
0: I think the Celtics uh, have so they they have so many uh, guys that they can go to when they need a basket. Uh, they're very resourceful. They've been there several times. Uh, the experience is really important. And uh in the playoffs of course you get uh more rest than you do during the regular season so uh the fact that their age is not going to be that bad of a thing to overcome so I look for them to uh I really look for them to win it all win it all
2: Now when you root for an NBA team who do you root for whoever is winning <laughs>
0: enjoy watching it uh, when I get that opportunity but I really get involved in it during the playoffs um, and of course it was more fun playing with the Celtics than any other teams that I played for uh, so really uh, I pulled for the Celtics uh, I enjoy watching individuals that are you know that <clears throat> that I might know a little something about, and I, I pulled for some individuals. But uh, anyway. Uh, Did you miss
1: the Boston Garden when they tore it down? Were you kind of sad when they knocked it down? I mean, was that part of your history?
0: Well, <clears throat> it was a uh, certainly uh, an advantage, I think, for the Celtics to play there. When I played with other teams, we'd go into the Garden, uh, back in those days, the dressing facilities were, uh, pretty bad for the visiting team. The, uh, temperature in our, and the dressing room would be, uh, extremely hot. And, uh, it just wasn't a real pleasant, uh, visit, of course, uh, with the Celtics, too, being so dominant that, uh, it was very difficult, really, to, Uh, during those days, especially when you were playing them in Boston, that uh, it was very difficult to, you know, make a competitive game out of it.
2: Now, when you were playing for the Celtics, did you have trouble understanding some of their dialect, and did people have a little difficulty with your Southern draw there?
0: Uh, Oh, no. uh, uh, You know, basketball is not that complicated a game. Uh, My rookie year... Uh, when Dick McGuire took over as the player coach halfway through the season, he said, Bailey, it's a simple game. You uh, hit both boards and you run the floor. And uh, if a big guy will do that and really concentrate on pounding both boards and running both ways, you know, he's going to average in double figures, whether he has very Uh, very many uh, offensive skills or not, I think.
1: We had a lot of former NBA players on, Hall of Famers, and most of them say that Bill Russell was the best player that ever played, and the reason being was his competitiveness, his desire, his teamwork, where they said Will Chamberlain didn't become a great player until he learned how to pass the ball and become a team player rather than just all about him.
0: Well, actually, uh, Bill concentrated on the uh, part of the game that's so critical when you're talking about winning. And that's uh, playing great defense and uh, especially the defensive rebounding. Uh, I think if Wilt would have patterned his game after Bill's game, when he came in the league, if he had said, okay, who's the greatest center in the game today? Well, it's Bill Russell. Uh, why is he so dominant? It's because of the part of the game that he concentrates on. So that's what I'm going to do. But Wilt came in, you know, as a scorer, and he was very uh, concerned about his um, scoring average, it seemed to be. And um, so <clears throat> he, he didn't play the game, uh, the same game that Bill played. Of course, he excelled in whatever he wanted to do at the time. But uh, as you know, later in his career, when he was playing in L.A. and Bill Sharman was the coach, and he started really dominating the defensive end and the defensive boards and turning and uh, making a strong outlet pass. Uh, as you know, the Lakers set the record for, what, 30, 33 games in a row, winning streak. So <clears throat> when... Uh, Will played the game at, like I think that he should. He would have probably been the best ever, a best big man ever. But he didn't play that type of game until late in his career. Now, I, I think Bill Russell is the most valuable player that ever stepped on the court. Uh, there are other players that have uh, maybe more skills, uh, you know, and I'm thinking about. Uh, Michael Jordan and and others, Kobe Bryant uh, uh, and uh, Dwayne Wade and uh, his partner in crime down there in Miami right now. <laughs> uh, but uh, <clears throat> Bill was so dominant in his uh, part of the game that he really concentrated into most valuable player, I think, that's ever played the game.
2: I think a lot of people agree with you. Now, when you came out of Mississippi State and were drafted number two overall in 1959, did you feel a lot of pressure with that?
0: Well, you know, teams, their number one draft choice teams are really going to give you an opportunity to play. And if you have the talent and the desire and the competitiveness to do so, uh, you're going you're gonna to get some minutes. And of course, uh, when you have the opportunity to play and, and put in a consistent amount of minutes during a game well then uh, you know you should be able to be a productive player and and uh, and uh, <clears throat> that gives you the opportunity to to improve because you once you come out of college any level of basketball you move up into that's a higher level you've got to you got to improve, or you're not going to be around very long.
2: Now, in the sports scene in Detroit, the the Pistons were newcomers when you came along. They'd been there for a season. How, how did the basketball players? How were they treated by the people in Detroit compared to, say, the Lions or the Tigers?
0: Well, uh, we were sort of second-class citizens, I guess. Uh, uh, the if our fans, uh, if we would, if we had a, a you know, a winning team. I think we would have been supported, but uh, those first several years in Detroit, although we were improving a little each year and getting more competitive all the time, uh, the uh, <clears throat> the crowds, uh, attendance. Of course, you can go back and check the records, but it was pretty poor.
1: You uh, after you retired, you worked for Converse. How long did you work for Converse? Uh,
0: Twenty. Re- Almost 23 years.
1: How did the shoe business change from the time you started to when you retired with these athletes? I mean,
0: well, of course, the dominant shoe back when I first went to work with Converse and many years previous to that was the Converse Chuck Taylor All Star, and um, then the the product was made by hand and it was put together in. Uh, the, out, the outsole and all was put together in different uh, layers of pieces of uh, rubber and sponge and whatever. But uh, new type of construction, unit sole construction, came into the uh, into the shoe industry, and when that happened, Converse was very slow in switching over to that type of construction, and so. Uh, the dominance that we had at that time, uh, uh, really, uh, we lost it.
1: Who was your main athlete back then?
0: Uh, well, Adidas was the first uh, shoe company that uh, <clears throat> started really making some noise. And then shortly after that, Nike came along. Uh, we'd spent tremendous amount of time promoting our shoe, investing with coaches and uh, hospitality rooms at... Uh, Final Four and on and on. We had a great grassroots system and very loyal coaches, but uh, so our competition really couldn't make very much headway against us. But Nike just started uh, buying not only the maybe the basketball team, but they they would go to a university and say, "We'll outfit your whole athletic program." And of course, as you know, money talks and. They, they had the financial backing, and, and so we lost a lot of ground because of that. And then, you know, as fads go, and uh, uh, they got more popular and more popular, and then along comes Reebok, and Adidas, of course, was hanging in there tough. And so Converse, of course, uh, really struggled for, for a number of years, Now, Converse products are basically a casual uh, street shoe.
2: Now, back in the day, didn't Dr. J, wasn't he a big Converse uh,
0: guy? Dr. J uh, was probably our our headliner. Uh,
1: How much did you pay Dr. J back in the day?
0: Oh, I I have no idea. That wasn't wasn't, uh, part of the operation that I was involved in.
1: They've been talking that they should pay college athletes and now what's being proposed is that let these shoe companies pay these athletes like endorsement deals when they're in college so they have money to live on and then let the shoe companies take the risk if these guys become superstars, they might have something that's like a player that will be loyal to them because the company took care of them in college.
0: Well, uh, you know, I don't think that would be a very good idea. Uh, <clears throat> the, uh, All the bad things that go on in college athletics, the uh, extra uh, inducements they give to individuals to uh, go to a certain school and that type of thing. If they had a blanket policy where all the athletes were paid a certain amount of money, there would still be uh, cheating going on. People would, uh, you know, come around and want to pay them more to influence them to come to their school and. So, uh, uh, you know what we need in, in college athletics are are people with uh, uh, a lot of high integrity, and uh, I would it would be I think uh, real good if if it would stand up in court to uh, not allow the players once they enter college to leave until they had played played or been there three years, like it is in college
1: baseball. Thank you very much for your time. We really enjoyed talking to you, Bailey. We got a lot of insight on when you were playing and on the shoe business and on the Celtics.
0: Okay. Enjoyed it. And good luck to the Bulls, but they, they got a tough road when <laughs> when they advanced. And if, in fact, the Celtics advanced, it should be a great, a great
1: series. As long as it's not the Heat. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs>
1: There was Basketball Hall of Famer Bailey Howell. I want to thank all our guests, Bailey Howell, Harry Gallatin, and the beautiful Cindy Morgan.
2: Last but not least, Cindy Morgan.
1: I'm David Spade with my co-host, Ellie Harris. Tune in again next week to Sports & Torts. Thank you.